Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us, or you're with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I was going to wait for a formal signing sometime in early January, but then I watched the news this morning and they were all saying, will he keep his promise? Will he sign it by Christmas? You will one, but will he sign it by Christmas? And I called downstairs. I said, get it ready. We have to sign it now. We we're going to wait till January 7th or 8th and do a big formal ceremony. But every one of the networks was saying, will he keep his promise? Will he sign it? As you know, $3.2 trillion in tax cuts for American families, including the doubling of the standard deduction and the doubling of the child tax credit. The typical family of four earning $75,000, we see an income tax cut of more than $2,000. Many much higher than that, slashing their tax bill in half. And they're going to start to see that because we're signing today. They're going to start to see that in February. The numbers will speak. Buck Sexton here, team. Merry Christmas. Welcome to our Freedom Hut Christmas Spectacular. Uh, very much appreciate you being here. I'm all I want for Christmas is a lot of phone calls from Team Buck today. How about that? Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. It is now the law. The president has signed it. The tax cuts. The uh, sweeping one point five trillion dollar tax cut is is law now. The president got it done. Give give Trump and his White House credit. Give the Republican Congress credit. They they got this done. So it's year one and something substantial goes up on the scoreboard, so to speak. Uh, a, a note here on where I think we're going to take the show today, because, like I said, Freedom Hut Christmas Spectacular. Uh, there's some news of the day I want to get I want to get through uh, a report of a thwarted terrorist attack on San Francisco. We will address that updates on the act of evil they're not yet calling it a terror attack we'll see in australia that just happened last 48 hours involving an afghan refugee i have updates for you on that and clearly we'll talk a bit about the tax bill and some other news stories from today and then we'll just get into some christmas time talk movies we're going to watch things we're going to do food we're going to eat we've got a guest joining us to talk about a Pentagon program. This got a lot of attention, I think it was last week, when the New York Times wrote a piece on the Pentagon spending $22 million to look into UFOs. We've got the guy that the New York Times was writing about from the Pentagon to join us to talk about that. So those of you who are going to be perhaps catching up on watching the X-Files over the holiday in advance of what I believe will be a new X-Files series that will be launching in 2018, uh, you will have... 
lots of fodder from that interview that we're going to do. We also got a guy joining. It's not Star Wars, which I know is the big movie right now, but somebody from the scientific community is going to talk to you about Star Trek technologies that are being made real right now. So we're just going to it's a, a smorgasbord. You know, it's we got a lot of stuff here. It's a a virtual audio buffet of delicious Christmas time goodness today on the Buck Sexton show. And because it is a Friday. Tyrone, we know what that means. It is action. Action. The Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Heavy meals and banquet. Formation of parade. I love the call. Movie. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils. Quote. Uh, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Jack Burton. Me. Fridays. Thanks for the advice. Action. Movie. Quote. Fridays. Let's see what you got. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Uh, if, especially those of you out there who are would be first-time callers, although all of you, even those of you who call and are very patient and wait for three hours to come on to the show, um, anyone wants to weigh in today, light up those lines. Let's start, you want to tell us what you got planned for Christmas? I mean, they open forum today for the team, because it's the last time we're going to get to hang out until the new year, because I'm out next week. I'm heading to the beach. It's going to be great. I'm going to be wearing long sleeves under an umbrella, reading a book, but I'll still be at the beach. Um, And although on Tuesday, which is the day after Christmas, for those of you who are going to be cleaning up the house, hanging out if you have the day off, uh, I'll be on Outnumbered over at Fox News, so you can tune into that. That's always fun. I'll be sharing the hopefully sharing the success of whatever Christmas dishes I bring to the Sexton family feast this year. So that's the plan for the show. I'd love to hear from as many of you as we can get in over the course of the show, though we've got some guests booked as well. We've got some people we're going to be talking to and some news to get to. Like I said, tax cuts have been made real. The president got it through. The president managed to uh, get the tax cuts that he had said were coming. And I I was skeptical, right? I was rooting for the best in our Congress, but prepared for the worst in terms of disappointment. And they have, sure enough, sure enough, they are um, bringing, they're coming through right in time for Christmas, which is going to be, Uh, Really helpful, I think, for the midterms. And Democrats are going to have to come up with something other than Trump-Russia collusion, I think. I just checked in before I came on air because I was curious. I want to see. So it's Christmas time, you know, over at the Huffington Post, over at HuffPo. I mean, they probably got like a Christmas tree on the front page and spreading holiday cheer. Nope, nope. It's more uh, hysteria about Trump firing Mueller, despite the fact that I, I think I've seen every senior administration figure that could be asked about in the last week has been asked, including Trump himself, and said that it's not going to happen. There will be no firing. Uh, for those who are, who are curious, though, about the trajectory of politics within the GOP in 2018, it does seem like there is going to be a fight between the establishment within the GOP and the Bannonite wing of the GOP. You have a pretty open challenge now from Steve Bannon. He gave this interview in Vanity Fair. I was surprised uh, that he said what he said in that interview. 
and especially in the aftermath of the Roy Moore situation, which is without question a, a, a big black eye for the GOP. I mean, it is not a, it is not a good thing that they lost that Senate seat, right? And Bannon played a role in all that. We got that fight to anticipate, look forward to. I don't know. You tell me. McConnell versus Bannon. I will tell you this. I know Bannon has got a lot of bluster, and he's he's kind of a he's he's a, a puncher. You know, he's a rhetorical pugilist. But that McConnell fellow is cagey in his own way. He's he's got some he's got some uh, of his own tricks up the sleeve. We're going to be supporting people who can actually win. Um, how many of contests there'll be between well-funded people who are sure losers? And people who can win, it's hard to predict because recruiting season is not over. But we've got some great candidates out there, and you're familiar with them. Uh, Martha McSally, Josh Hawley. Uh, We hope to land a few more in the coming weeks. And um, I think we're going to be very competitive. So, because tax reform went through today and it's a big Christmas gift, it's like it's like Uncle Trump just wrapped up $2,000 and handed it to every American middle-class family uh, under the Christmas tree or by the menorah or in their non-denominationally uh, uh, designed and attired living room, you know, whatever, right? I mean, there's $2,000 coming to every family uh, in America and the middle class right now, and that's a pretty compelling talking point. I have been pr- I've been somewhat amazed at how much the media has been able to convince people that they don't want more of their own money. Uh, there, there was even a piece, I think it was NBC, where they were walking through the numbers with some individuals who fall into the 50 to 100. Right When we're talking middle class, it's usually 40 or 50 to 100K is what's broadly termed the middle. I know some of you, if, depends on what part of the country you're in, right? I mean, if you're in uh, some parts of the Midwest, uh, 100K is... You know, way beyond middle class. But if you're in New York City, uh, 40K is n- n- not considered middle class, right? It depends on where you are. San Francisco, 40K is, a, you know, try buying a house if you earn 40K a year in Palo Alto. So it depends on where you are. Uh, but people are finding out more about this and they're liking it more. And I think there's a sense within the GOP this is going to be big for 2018. And that's why you already have some setting of the table with the midterms now. Because 2018 is going to be a lot about the midterm elections from go. Uh, we're going to see the, the big open question for me in terms of the fortunes of the Congress, right? Because Trump's not up for re-election yet. But in terms of those who are running Congress, well, obviously, I mentioned the GOP civil war, such as it is. Or maybe it's just a, a GOP intramural dispute however you want to however you want to frame it all right we got every line lit i know you want to talk so i'm going to stop blabbering on here in a second uh but immigration does the gop actually show some does trump push them to show some spine on the issue of immigration does a wall start getting built do they do they follow through on the promises that trump made during his campaign that so many republican members of congress tacked on to for their own purposes of getting either elected or reelected. Maybe if, if I had to guess, GOP is going to try to punt on that, but we'll see. You know, they, they came through with this. They may be, uh, 
you know, maybe feeling it a little bit, you know, maybe a, a little bit of swagger with Mitch McConnell. He's like, yeah, that's right. I'm, I've got swagger. I'm ready to go. Well, who wants to throw it? Who wants a piece? Mitch McConnell. Who wants a piece? 844-900-2825. Let's rack and stack those calls. Action movie quotes, Christmas thoughts, tax code analysis. Whatever you want, team. It's your show today. Well, it's always your show, but we're going to get as many of you in as we can. I'll be right back. Oh, yeah, it's Christmas, and we got the sound of some sweet Christmas synthesizers, everybody. Just wait. We might even get some Kenny G with the clarinet coming your way for some Christmas flavor. Kenny G. Taylor in Utah. Save me from myself. What's up, Taylor? I wish you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, also wanted to say... Every time I start talking politics with someone, I, I tell them I generally vote Republican because they screw things up slower than uh, Democrats. But, man, I'm excited. We're, we might actually be getting something done. Yeah, no, they look, the, the GOP has done something. And we need to call the balls and strikes of what the Congress is doing. And I think that this is clearly a, this is a strike, or I guess assuming we're on the batting team, right? So this is a good thing. And uh, I'm, yeah. I'm happy. Uh, I think this is the way to do it. So it's not a perfect tax bill. It's a good tax bill. You know, it's maybe a B plus, but a B plus that affects the whole economy is a pretty darn good thing. Assuming it works as planned, then I think it will. Well, a, a B plus is, is better than nothing. I mean, we've been getting nothing from them for a long time. So I'm excited. Hopefully that that leads us into a good 2018. I'm going to send 2017 off, you know, by going out, shooting some guns, shooting our cannon. You know, having a good time. Wait, are you, are you, you actually have a cannon? Because I remember I asked about this a while ago on the show. Are you you, you have your own cannon? Yeah, we. Yeah, uh, I, I sent you a picture, and we uh, we talked. You were the guy who sent me the photo of the cannon. What's it? Tell everybody about it. What's it like? Yes, sir. Oh, it's a riot. You know, you load it with a little bit of gunpowder. You shoot that sucker off. It goes whistling out. You know, eight hundred yards. You know, jump on the horse, go out, pick up the bowling ball. Wow. It's a riot. <laughs> Absolutely okay. right. So next time you're out in Utah, man, we'll get the cannon loaded up. We'll shoot it. Uh, have some good barbecue. Just have an all-around good time out in the country. Fantastic. Taylor, Merry Christmas and Shields High to you, man. I love it. Thank you, sir. Um, come out to come out to Utah, shoot the cannon. I like it. That should be like a slogan for the Utah Board of Advertising uh, or uh, Board of Tourism. Jake in North Carolina. Hello, my friend. Hello, sir. Darn, you caught me. I had you on speaker. No, that's okay. Uh, yes, sir. I had. Uh, I, I would just like a good explanation of the repeal of the mandate. And is there any kind of a retroactive attachment? Like we still have to pay like two years that we've already missed, kind of deal. And uh, another thing, why don't I hear anything about anyone uh, trying to? stop the hospitals from overcharging and charging too much and things like that. Cause I've had an accident and shattered a foot and they did $17,000 worth of supplies just on the itemized bill. And then I challenged them. I told them I could buy all this stuff at, uh, CVS and, uh, ACE for $211 and they turned around and cut my bill in half with no argument. Well, first of all, good, good for you and good on you for, for, challenging hospital bills because that's 
Very important for people to do, especially when you're talking about supplies, because hospitals will gouge you. They're just used to it. They'll just gouge and gouge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I so, but I, I mean, I just don't see that. Why are the congressmen and everybody just kind of missing that picture there? Well, let me let I me mean, say this. The, bucks for one ibuprofen. I mean, I, really. I hear you. I hear you. The uh, So a, a, a few things, man. One is that the individual mandate repeal is only one part of the whole Obamacare picture. Obamacare has not been repealed, so we need to all be very clear on that. And the individual mandate being repealed just means that, and by the way, we don't know. We don't. People keep saying 12 million people will lose their insurance or whatever. That's actually, that might not be the case. We'll see. But it'll be an excellent market test to see if people want to actually participate in these exchanges or they would rather go without insurance if they didn't have to pay the penalty. It also will cause for a faster collapse, I believe, of the exchanges because you'll have younger, healthier people that don't want to be in the exchange because they know it's a bad deal for them. Well, and- you've also got the people that are under that seventy-five or $100,000 range. I'm within the $35,000 range and had three children. And it was easier just to take them into the hospital and pay it outright than it was any insurance whatsoever. And it almost, you know, made us lose our home. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I, Jake, I, I think that the, the 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 GOP has not reformed. Obamacare has not changed the health care system yet. That has not happened, right? The removal of right. the individual mandate could be a very important beachhead in that whole process. But we got a long way to go, my friend. Look, I, I uh, wish you and yours a Merry Christmas, and I appreciate you calling in. Um, 2018, and we're going to be talking about health care. I, I mentioned immigration before the break. I think Jake is a is a good uh, indicator here as well of there's still a lot to be done on health care and the GOP dropped the ball on health care this year. No question about it. And what he's talking about with uh, crazy pricing at hospitals and all that, that's all too real. It is a big problem and we need to get to a more market based system. But that's you know, saying we're going to get to a market-based system is saying you want to score a touchdown when you're actually playing defense on your own five-yard line. You know what I mean? This that's a long that's a long and heavy lift from where we are right now. So we are uh, we're working on it, and uh, we will come back to healthcare in 2018 some more. Although, if you have any other questions on the show about it right now, we can certainly get to that. Uh, we got some spots that have opened up because we've taken some calls. So do give a ring, even if you just want to say Merry Christmas to. Uh, me and uh, and Ty and Amy here in the hut. Uh, we when we come back, I just wanted to maybe get into some of the aftermath of the Nikki Haley UN SmackDown yesterday, uh, which I very much enjoyed. Amazing to see some folks the dishonesty that they deploy when it comes to any opportunity to attack a person affiliated with the Trump administration, somebody who is just tied to Trump. They will change their positions and try to. Try to take down the White House uh, a peg just by being nasty in the press. Oh, yeah, that's right. Morning, Joe. We're coming. We're coming for your commentary after this break. Uh, and oh, I have I mentioned the the terror attack in the uh, averted, pardon me, the uh, disrupted terror attack on San Francisco. It's supposed to take place on Monday. FBI stepped in there. We'll talk about that next hour. And we have some more information about the motivation of the Las Vegas shooting. That will be coming up in a bit, too. So we're going to be bouncing around a lot of topics here. Like I said, it's a Freedom Hut Christmas spectacular, and a lot of your calls and commentary will help drive where we are going. So stick with it, team. I'll be right back. We have, of course, the individual mandate, which is 
a very unfair and very unpopular provision, as you know, in Obamacare. Uh, essentially, I think it ultimately leads to the end of Obamacare. It's essentially, I think Obamacare is is over because of that. And we're going to come up with something that's really going to be very good. But the individual mandate was very unfair because you're basically saying pay for something in order not to have to get health care. So you're paying. You're paying not to have to have health care. It was very unfair. So there you have the president talking about exactly what the previous caller was asking about, which is what happens now with health care Does the repeal of the individual mandate mean that Obamacare is going away? And as I've been telling you, it's it's a think of it like they've punched a hole in the outer wall of Obamacare, but it's still going to be quite a fight once they breach the wall and storm the keep or whatever. You know, it's going to be there's a lot because Democrats are going to say that Trump sabotaged it. And so any of the disruption and economic pain and, pro- and they're going to oh my they're going to have people you know one after another the most sympathetic cases they can find of people you know in in with neck braces on and oh gosh i couldn't see my doctor because the exchange crumbled and you know they're going to play that whole game and they'll do it well and republicans better get their act together because a lot of people are just going to say look y- you guys didn't reform health care you've got a majority in the house and the senate and now things are getting really bad really quickly in the exchanges. You better have a solution to this and not just be, you know, you can't just light a fire. You got to be burning down the old house and saying, hey, no, no, it's OK. We're moving you all into this brand new mansion. You know, it can't be just like, look at how bad this is. Yeah, it stinks, doesn't it? I'm just, I, you know, keeping it real here, everybody. It's not going to be as easy as just the exchanges are. Uh, become toxic and, and collapse and everyone's going to be like, yay, Trump and yay, Republicans. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to be a long fight. Jason in Arizona on the iHeart app. Hey, Jason. Hey, Merry Christmas, Buck and Shields High. Merry Christmas and Shields High to you, sir. Yeah, I got a couple of questions. Uh, one is, um, what's your thoughts on cryptocurrency? And uh, two, um, there's somebody I heard I think it was about maybe a couple of months ago. His name's uh, Sean Worthington, and he's the founder of CloudCoin. And I was wondering if um, it would be possible if you could get him on your show and have an interview so he could explain this new technology. Um, I do have his email, and I was wondering if you, um, if you had an email address that I could send you his information. Buck at gmail.com. So you can email us right there. And uh, you also, and, and sure, I'd, ha- I'd be happy to have somebody with a new crypto on. I would note that today, Bitcoin, I think, dropped twenty five percent last twenty four hours. So, if if somebody bought yeah, Bitcoin a week 10, ago, 10. it's been a rough it's been a rough twenty four hours. Now, what was your uh, what was your email again? I didn't catch that. Official Team Buck at Gmail dot com, which is where anyone can write in okay. with tips, suggestions, poems, whatever you got. So are you involved in cryptocurrency? Do you own any? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm just learning about it. I'm not involved in any cryptocurrency stuff right now. Okay. Anyways, um, I've been listening to you since uh, you were on Saturday mornings with uh, Glenn Beck. Oh, you're OSS. Look at that. Yeah, and I was also wondering, what, when, when are we going to get a commie bear? Where, where is he the at? bear's coming back. Hillary 28, Clinton, <laughs> 2018. Look, he's been, very, he's been very busy trying to throw elections and collude, but the bear will be back, my friend. You have, you have my word on that. J- 
Jason Shields, hi, and have a very Merry Christmas to you, man. Thank you. Uh, Tony, here in New York, also listening on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, Tony. Hey, Buck. Shields, hi. Merry Christmas. Shields, hi, and Merry Christmas to you. Uh, so, i got a few questions. A little background on me. I, my parents immigrated in the 80s uh, from Portugal. They're, uh, they're U.S. citizens now. Um, I'm first generation here in America. And I see all this going back and forth with the DACA and... I believe it was like 11 million they're saying that are illegal in the country. Why don't they just try to make some kind of program where that not the people that are here illegally, the 11 million, no chance of citizenship, but some kind of residence card where they pay some kind of back fine for the amount of time that they've been here so that it helps our economy and boosts uh, tax revenue and all that and give them some kind of ID card. Not saying that we give them a free, free ride to, to stay, but some kind of fine or something along those lines, so that it's a little bit it's easier for us and we benefit from them. Yeah, from that, so, and they benefit from that. So Tony, there's a there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I would say for first, this is what was initially being proposed by the uh, what the the gang of eight uh, the senators, including Marco mm-hmm. Rubio, which as a policy matter, was probably more responsible for him not getting far in the primary than any other single vote that, or not vote, but any other single issue that he had taken a stance on. And here are the problems, Tony, with just going, because I understand, right? There is a, you have a, a basic impulse, a lot of us do, to say, look, people that are here that are contributing and that want to stay, can we find a way to make this work for everybody? I think I I would note that if the border was actually secure and there was a wall and there were some other pieces in place, that that is a discussion that a lot of Americans would be willing to have. But let me just say this. The problems that immediately come up with it uh, are that, for example, uh, if somebody comes and and they are allowed to stay permanently, uh, are they allowed to sponsor family members through chain migration to come into the country? Uh, are they how big is the fine that they're supposed to pay when we talk about back taxes understand that most people who are illegal immigrants in the country don't make enough money that they would be paying taxes they would in fact be getting a check from the government so they would be getting paid to be here based on a tax situation and in terms of a fine what's a fine you know and by the way if they can't pay the fine, then what happens? Do they get kicked out of the country? I mean, the, the devil is in the details, especially with immigration issues and, and going to a a pathway to legalization, which was what was always being talked about. So there's and I'm just beginning to touch on all the complexities here. Then there's also the you are rewarding people that skipped to the front of the line and broke U.S. law with staying here permanently, which is the whole reason that people came here. Right. Citizenship is great. But really, the difference between a permanent resident and a citizen in this country is voting. And there are a lot of Americans who are citizens who don't even vote. The great thing about being here in terms of a benefit situation is being here. So that's where, Tony, I think a lot of the, the problems would be. I'm, 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 uh, I'm sympathetic to the arguments that we need to find ways to help people, but I also am a rule of law guy. So it's a big discussion, and I can promise you that in 2018, we will spend a lot of time here on this show talking about immigration. Thank you so much for your call, my friend. Shields high, and have a very Merry Christmas. Uh, Larry, out in Ohio on WMAN. What up, Larry? Hello, Buck. Enjoy your show. Hey, Larry. To you and all the people in New York. 
since this uh, tax bill is uh, in uh, been passed and it's law now, and if it uh, does what the GOP says that it will do as far as business and growing the uh, economy, so forth and so on. What do you think the Democrat, um, well, I guess I'll say countermeasure is going to be in 2018 uh, for the midterms? They are going to run on a an unrepentant class warfare platform, I think. They're going to say that this was all about corporations and that it doesn't really benefit the middle class. They're going to say that the repeal... This is what Democrats will say, that the repeal of the individual mandate is causing, whether true or not, they'll say it, is causing a huge spike in health care premiums in the exchanges and in the individual market that will have wiped out whatever benefits Republicans get or people get rather from the Republican tax cuts. They're also going to say that Trump is a racist, a bigot, a misogynist and a uh, Russia colluding traitor and should be impeached. So that will be, I think, the oh, and and DACA and they'll, they'll pick the most sympathetic parts of the immigration issue to try to paint the GOP and Trump specifically as racist, out of touch and unwilling to do what they will say is best for the American people, which is a, you know, a pathway to citizenship and also broader legalization for more and more people to come or broader avenues for more and more people to come into the country and get jobs yeah. here. So that's. I mean, you know, the Democrats should probably hire me. I'm like scary good at making their arguments for them, but I also think that they're destroying the country. Do you think that's the best they can come up with that that Trump's a racist and he should be impeached and blah, blah, blah? That's for the base, Larry. So so what I just outlined for you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Uh, What I just outlined for you, though, is a multi-pronged approach, and it's all about having appeal to different constituencies. So what the Democrats will say on health care and on uh, taxes and the economy, that's to try to win over undecideds and persuadables in states like yours of Ohio, where there'll be some tight congressional races or elsewhere in the country where it's not a sure thing. The Trump is a racist Russia collusion stuff. That's base turnout. So that's in very blue states. And also with the apparatus, the Democratic Party has the media, all these different organizations that get involved in turnout. That's to that's red meat for the base to make sure the turnout is high and that the left, the progressive left is engaged in this midterms in a in a uh, as much a way as big a way as possible. So there you have it. The collusion is going to be over with in 18. I hope you're right, man. But we'll have to see, Larry. But have a very Merry Christmas, my friend. Thank you for all of your uh, very insightful and thoughtful calls over the course of the year. I do appreciate it. I'll note, interesting, everyone today wants, it's it's like almost Christmas, and everybody wants to talk policy so far. I don't even think I've gotten a single action movie quote, which is fine. I'm I'm happy to talk policy all the time, but if you wanted to just sort of see if you could stump the action movie quote master before 2018, oh, oh, you've got one? No, no, no. Oh, oh, I was like, Tyrone wants to bring it? I, I actually have some ready, but the compromise on DACA that's been floated, it's been, it's out there is they can stay not citizenship, end of chain migration. And that's the compromise that they think they're actually going to come to. The people can stay because they're not going to deport them all. No chain migration. That's the compromise. And children of those who can stay? No, 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 no. I no, think, no, I understand. But I'm saying, do we, do we, I have it. Where is this compromise coming from? 
No, I, that's been out there. Like Pelosi was talking about it, and I think there's kind of people on both sides who are kind of that's the starting point where they say, "How about this?" And then yeah, that's where the negotiations. But start. see, the the problem is that once you create the legalization, the initial legalization, it means that there's a greater constituency, a greater contingent of the country that would want further legalizations for the rest. Right? No chain migration is just a function of what the Congress decides in any given year. So what what becomes just oh it's see the, the the template for this would be Reagan's amnesty back in the 80s when it was it's only going to be for a couple million people and they're going to pay all these back taxes and fines and we're going to shut down the border and this is never going to happen again. And the reality was oh and there were all these different you have to speak English and you have to and there was no actual enforcement of any of the complicated pathway provisions. You just had mass legalization, a few million people, the border got no additional uh, lockdown, no additional provisions, and you had millions and millions more illegals come in. So there, there's what the policy is on paper, and then there's a way it's enacted in reality. And I think that there's very little trust that there would be an end to chain migration uh, because, that, yeah, that would be until the Democrats have the Congress and they'd say, yeah, we don't like that provision. And now you'd have a whole lot of people that if you change the law, and by the way, if you also offer them a pathway to citizenship, that's just a, a, an act of Congress. So once you go, once you go that people aren't illegal, the step from making people not illegal to citizens and bringing in their family and now have an unsinkable Democrat majority in the country is very quick. Uh, but 844-900-2825, if you want to give me an action movie quote or anything else that's on your mind, Merry Christmas to all of you, in case you haven't heard me say that already. We'll be back in just a few. All right, team, welcome back. Uh, we're going to have to take kind of a, a bit of a hard turn from the uh, Christmas music there. I've told Ty and the team we're going to have some Christmas music going throughout the show, but we're also going to be talking about some uh, news stories, and that means that there's going to be some intense stuff that we get into today. I promise third hour, I don't think we're doing anything intense. Uh, so if you stay around for that, it will be lighter fare and a lot of the second hour as well. But I did want to update you that uh, the – on two things, two stories that we've talked about here recently. One is the train derailment, the Amtrak train out in Washington State. From what I'm seeing today, that 30-mile-per-hour curve, never supposed to be there. So this was a new track. And essentially, here, here's what the New York Post is reporting on. An $11 billion Washington State government plan to speed up passenger and freight rail service throughout the Pacific Northwest called for an elimination of the turn but that request was not included in the final design once the state won federal funding for the Point Defiance Railroad bypass, according to the Wall Street Journal earlier today. The plan was ditched because the turning question was deemed too costly to remove, citing documents and state officials. Oh, boy. So they were supposed to get rid of it, and they didn't. And uh, it looks like... This would fall under not not train engineer error, but engineering error, as in construction of the tracks and decisions made at a higher level. And that's and when you think about it, it would given that this was the first time it ever went on this route and this happened, it makes sense that it was the tracks fault and not train operator error. Right. Because if it's the track, obviously, you're going to run into a problem the very first time. Once this is like when I work you through. Uh, the numbers on and probabilities of a terrorist incident, 
Well, here, think about the probability that the first time they've ever run the train on the tracks, what's the likeliest, what's the likeliest thing is that there is a structural problem here with either the speeds posted or the tracks itself or the train itself was shouldn't have been used at all. User error on the very first time that this ever happened seems less likely under the circumstances. One more. So that's the latest on the Washington train derailment. And then one more thing. I've been telling you that I'm waiting to get greater clarity about the uh, shooting in Las Vegas. We all are waiting to get greater greater clarity about what the motive was for that shooting. Uh, 500 people hit. The coroner's office released. It's grisly, the details. I won't share them now. I know we're about to go into the Christmas weekend and everything, but it's out there if you want to see or if you want to read the, the details of, of how how much of a mass casualty attack this was and, and who was hit. And it's, it makes for tough reading, uh, but 58 people were killed in Las Vegas. We still don't know the motive and what we've been told, according to the FBI office in Las Vegas, it may take until next October for them to release information on the motive. They are, have gone through 22,000 hours of surveillance and cell phone footage 250,000 photos that they still have to look over. They have 40 terabytes of data surrounding the Las Vegas shooting. And so they're going to go through it all and they say it will take them probably until next fall before they have an official FBI report on whatever we can describe as the motive for the Las Vegas mass shooting. Uh, I don't know what to say other than Given how long it's going to take and all that information, I think that in the end they're not even going to really have an answer. That's my that's my guess. They're going to have some basic ideas, but they're going to go through all that, and we're going to wait a year, and they're still not going to have an answer. We'll be right back. Team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut Christmas Spectacular. Buck Sexton here with you, 844-900-2825. Taking calls as we can as they come in throughout the show. Thank you so much for your calls in the last hour, and great to have you with me now uh, in this one. So, uh, just a reminder of the roadmap here. It's Action Movie Quote Friday. That means that Action Movie Quote challenges are in effect. And also, we're going to talk in the next hour about UFOs with somebody who worked on UFOs at the Pentagon, because that's a thing that actually happen, which we can give you some details about. Uh, we will also discuss uh, some technologies that Star Trek made seem realistic and now are being made real just in time for Christmas. You know, maybe you can get some of it on Amazon. And then uh, some Team Buck Speaks and some some closing thoughts in 2017 for all of you wonderful listeners here on the show. Uh, also later this hour, we'll talk about a terrorist attack foiled in San Francisco by the FBI that targeted the San Francisco Pier 39. It was allegedly to involve uh, assault rifles and explosives and a vehicle, uh, and perhaps a vehicle attack as part of the rest of the carnage. Uh, That's been thwarted. There is no known active threat against San Francisco right now. And I'll also tell you about the, an update on the Australia vehicle attack. Just happened in Melbourne in the last 48 hours. And the media is playing games with it, which I'm sure is not surprising to any of you. Playing games the way they discuss and describe what happened in Australia. Uh, so, yesterday, you had Nikki Haley's biggest moment yet at the UN when there was that 
U.N. vote 128 to 9, criticizing the U.S. decision to move its embassy to the capital of Israel. Uh, Tells you a lot that, one, so many, there are so many cowards and feckless nations that are part of the United Nations. That's no surprise, really. But it's a reminder. Uh, But also to see some of the commentary about this has been pretty astonishing here. I make fun of the Morning Joe show sometimes because it's not a not a good show. <laughs> so uh, and I don't know. That's not I'm not in the Christmas spirit with that comment. And I apologize for that. But I just don't think it's a good show. I think that it's very smug and self-serving and self uh, self-referential and really self-indulgent for the hosts and even some of their frequent guests. And there is a nastiness, a smugness to much of the commentary that goes on there. But Morning Joe decided to get uh, uppity with Haley because of what happened at the U.N. And here is what Joe Scarborough had to say about it. Hey, Joe, when did we become the bad guys? When when did you know, I'm listening to that speech yesterday and and obviously Brennan's tweet. And I'm saying when that's the bad guys talking. Bad guys talk that way. We're not, not going to give you aid if you just don't blindly agree with us, and we'll cut you off. It's breathtaking that she would actually threaten to cut off aid and support and humanitarian aid. Those dollars are strategic to to allow the United States to continue to have soft power across the globe. And you 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 just aren't smart. Joe Scarborough has no idea who's talking about, by the way. Doesn't know anything about international relations, doesn't know anything about how the United Nations functions, doesn't understand international aid, and is just trashing a a person tied to Trump. That's all that is. The notion that Nikki Haley can't tell people in a forum like the United Nations, can't tell the assembled uh, representatives of the General Assembly, hey, you guys can remember they're they're condemning a U.S. action that they have no business condemning. It is it is actually not their business where we put our embassy. This is not up to them. This is not. This would be like them condemning. And this doesn't surprising. Right. The outcome of a U.S. election that has an impact on the whole world, too. But it's none of their darn business. They condemn us. We are the single biggest financial donor to the United Nations. We give the United Nations this building to operate in and provide all of its security here in New York City. And she's not allowed to she's what, what, what are we supposed to be a doormat? We're supposed to sit there and just take this, you know, only turn around and be thankful that our friends like Palau, Micronesia and uh, Tonga have our back. No, I think it's perfectly fair. And Honduras, right? Yeah, Honduras represent. Uh, I think it's completely fair. And I think it was well stated and well done when Nikki Haley just called them out and said, you know what? I'm sorry, but we will remember this. That doesn't mean we're going to take food out of the mouths of starving children in the southern Sudan, right? It doesn't mean that it wasn't even a specific threat. It was just, okay, you guys are going to do this. We will remember this in the future. Are we allowed to tell that to, you know, the French, to the Brits, to... Other countries, they got plenty of money. They could write a lot bigger checks to the United Nations. They could carry much bigger load. Oh, do they not care about starving children? Do they not care about the problems of the world? You know, look at all the 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 poisonous ideology that the Saudis have exported all over the planet 
all the destruction that the terrible beliefs from within the Saudi kingdom, all the destruction that that has uh, created around the world. Maybe they should be paying some additional freight at the U.N. Why, why do we have to do this? We're talking about debt and deficits. I know this is very smart. People, oh, it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, it's a drop in the bucket. But so somebody else can put the drop in the bucket. And just I think it's such an interesting exercise in one. This is all about Trump derangement syndrome, right? So Nikki Haley does something at the U.N. that's pro-American, that stands up for our interests and is also standing up for Israel. And you get all these commentators condemning her because they're really just trying to condemn Trump. They don't care what it is. Right. I mean, we, we could be we could tell Israel that we're working on a strategic ice cream parlor project with them. And, the you know, the U.N. could condemn it. And all these different journalists, MSNBC, Morning Morning Joe and all the rest of them would be saying, you know, how dare they? You know, other countries need ice cream, too. This is preposterous. So it's really not about. Because when I know it sounds silly, but think about what we're talking about here, the embassy move, the building. And all we're saying is that we're not going to play this weird game where we pretend like Jerusalem is not the capital of Israel because it is. It is. You know, if the Arab states in 50 years have some army and they think they, you know, they come sweeping in and destroy Israel as many in Hamas and other places do. Well, then I guess, yeah, it wouldn't be the capital anymore, but it is the capital. So they could live in this fantasy land of how in the future maybe it won't be. But that also tells us a lot about the lack of good faith with which many of the Arab states, in particular the Palestinian people, approach any peace negotiation. Right? Why is it so problematic for them for Israel to be? That doesn't mean the Palestinians will be blocked from Jerusalem forever and in the future. It doesn't mean that part of, I mean, people don't even like the term East Jerusalem because they say that it's not. The notion of it as a divided city is not even accurate, but the eastern part of Jerusalem could be involved in a future Palestinian state, maybe. I don't know. But right now, Jerusalem's the capital of Israel. So they need to just deal with it. Forcing the Arab states in particular to deal with reality, I think, is a very constructive thing because they feed poison and delusions to their own people on the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And as well as across the broader Middle East and the Muslim world and in Europe, where there is a tremendous amount of anti-Semitism still. As I, I know, as as befuddling as that is, right, you'd think that Europe would have learned its lessons about anti-Semitism, but there's still a lot of anti-Semitism there. And yet you've got uh, MSNBC having interviews like uh, like this one. Well, the reason that Israel says that the U.N. is anti-Israel is because Israel is opposed to international law. It doesn't want to see international law upheld. They want to see international law violated so that they can continue to build and expand settlements so that they can continue to steal Palestinian land. And the world community is saying very clearly that Jerusalem is not Israel's capital. This is why I'm hoping that it, because there is no peace process, that the Palestinian Authority shifts strategies completely and begins to try to hold Israel accountable, not just through UN resolutions, but things that are much more concrete and substantive, such as imposing sanctions on Israel, such as taking Israel before the international criminal, things that will actually change reality on the ground. I mean, think about how hostile that woman, Diana Bhutto, who was an advisor to Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas. Israel's, a, Israel's the, the country that needs to be taken in front of the ICC, the International Criminal Court sanctions against israel 
as, as though Israel is like North Korea or Iran or Syria. Uh, th- th- these people are delusional. And it, what they're saying is evil, by the way. And MSNBC gives them a platform. CNN gives them a platform. John Brennan, former CIA director, a, an embarrassment to my former organization, my former employer, an embarrassment to my brothers and sisters in the agency who still stay on and do good work day in and day out. John Brennan tweeted out, Trump had been threat to retaliate against nations that exercise sovereign right in U.N., to oppose U.S. position on Jerusalem is beyond outrageous, shows real Donald Trump expects blind loyalty and subservience from everyone, qualities usually found in narcissistic, vengeful autocrats. That got like 30,000 retweets from John Brennan, former CIA director, former senior terrorism advisor to, of course, President Obama. Guy's a joke and a clown and a partisan, a dishonest actor at the most senior levels of the government previously and is a is a blight on the record of the agency that this guy was the director it's it's really a it's a, a shame and i've known all along that he's a hyper partisan guy i've been hearing it both from inside and outside the building i'm quite aware of it but this is just beyond the pale autocrat narcissistic vengeful nikki haley's like you guys are spitting in our face we're America, we're the United States, we don't like this, and we're going to remember it. What's she supposed to say, spit in our face again? No, spitting in the United States' face without consequence, that was the Obama policy. That was how Obama wanted his people to approach it. You know, just take it. Some other country slaps us, it's probably our fault. United Nations wants to mock us or undermine us, we deserve it. We had eight years of that. And you know what? The world wasn't any safer. The jihadists didn't stop trying to blow us up. In fact, they got worse. They were emboldened. So like I've said to you many times before, say what you will about Trump and this and that and the rhetoric and the tone. At least he understands where this country fits in with the rest of the world. That we are, yeah, we're not trying to be pompous about it, but we are the top dog. We do a tremendous amount of good. And we would like a little bit of appreciation, a little respect for America would be nice. All right, we're going to run in, take some calls right after this break. We'll, we'll kind of come back into a little bit more of the Christmas spirit, hopefully, with some of these calls, because I've, I got a little fired up there. But the Brennan tweet really like a lump of like a lump of coal in my stocking. We'll be right back. Indeed, we do wish you all a Merry Christmas, and we've got every line lit in the hut. Let's get to it. Mitch in California on the Blaze Radio. What's up, Mitch? Hey, Buck, how you doing? I'm a retired Marine out in Southern California, and uh, I have a a question, and then I'd like to just throw something out there real quick. Sure. I've heard that, um, you know, there's a strong possibility that the Congress could turn back to the Democrats in the midterm elections. What can the Republican do, do specifically uh, to, you know, uh, prevent that from happening, number one? And then number two, right along with that, I'm just sick and tired over the years and how it's reported all the time how the Republicans have such a poor messaging 
platform, and there's so many smart people that can that are out there that can help them with that. Why don't they do something about it? So if you could address that, that would be great. Sure. Thank you for your service, Mitch. Uh, and I would say on the likelihood, you know, any prediction right now is going to be overtaken by events within a month or two, right? So it, it's not I, – I really sure. couldn't say because it depends on how does – how does the Mueller investigation go with Trump? Does it go away entirely? Does it have some, you know, are there a few big bombshells left? I mean, so we got to see with that. And also, uh, what do Republicans decide to focus on in the new year? Is it going to be infrastructure and a bipartisan approach? Or is it going to be immigration, health care, and what they promised the base and their the GOP faithful? That's going to be a So I'd have to take you down through a kind of decision tree or, or wargaming completely different pathways. I think that that Trump may decide that infrastructure is the way to go, which means a lot of spending and trying to do something bipartisan. And I don't I don't know how that shakes out. If they focus on immigration and health care and try to get stuff done there, well, then I think they might be in good shape. But uh, and then what was I forgot was the second question. Yeah, you know, the whole issue about you know, the Republicans have such poor messaging. I don't think it's really that they have poor messaging so much as their microphones are limited in comparison to their Democrat counterparts. They don't have a huge media apparatus. Look, they have Fox News. They have talk radio, uh, you know, some websites. But that's really it. I mean, with Democrats, I could sit here and just rattle off 30 websites off the top of my head that get millions and millions of uniques every month. ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, PBS, NPR. I mean, you know, you, know, you go down right. the list and you're like, it's, they got a lot of megaphones. So uh, that's the difference, I think, in terms of messaging. Um, and also, they could use a little work on messaging. But, Mitch, have a great uh, Merry Christmas, and thank you so much for calling in. Uh, Don in Ohio on WHLO. Hey, Don. Hi, Buck. Shields High and Merry Christmas. Shields High and Merry Christmas to you. Got a movie quote for you. Uh, the one I even want to say I do enjoy your show. I think you're one of the more intelligent guys out there, voicing your opinion, and you're highly informed. And I really like listening to your show. Thank you. I do what I can. But the uh, quote is uh, it's two sentences, and uh, first one is uh, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. Robert Duvall in Apocalypse Now. You got it. Great, great movie, great scene. Uh, I figured you would know that, but it's a good. Uh, hey, I'll take a nice, a nice, uh, you know, nice fastball up the middle. You know what I mean? Right in the strike zone. I'm happy with it. There you go. A little Christmas present for me, Don. Wrapped and ready to go. Shields high. Have a great, have a great holiday, my friend. Thank you, Ed in Ohio. WHLO. Hey, Ed. Yes, sir, Mister Sexton. Yes, sir. I would like to wish you a politically correct. Religion-free, gender-neutral, festive winter solstice. and um, I'd prefer a Merry Christmas, but I'll take anything you got. Oh, well, that, that's, that's what that meant. I know, okay. I know. I'm kidding. I'm, pl- I'm trying to play along, Ed. This is, Me too. It's radio, baby, so what's up? Um, anyway, Nikki Haley, her speech at the U.N., I would go her one better. Here's a billion dollars. Move your headquarters to Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, okay. I mean, that would be an yeah. idea. I'm not sure it would yeah. get very far, but I like where your head's at, Ed. You're getting creative, so... Probably probably would not get very far, but, I mean, we're, we're just, like, 
Hey, this is like a real-time think tank here on radio, so we can put out ideas and see where they go. Have a very Merry Christmas, Ed. Shields High, thank you for calling in. Uh, where are we going to go? Oh, we come back. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some Chris. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. First, we come back. I'm going to talk to you about the thwarted terrorist attack on San Francisco and also the an update on that attack. We don't yet know if it's terror, but it's trending that way in, in uh, Australia. I'll give you some updates on that. And then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Christmas history uh, quickly. You know, not a deep dive, a, 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 a stocking stuffer's worth of Christmas history. And then we'll talk to uh, Amy and Ty a little bit about their plans for Christmas and thought Christmas movies. we got to get in the Christmas spirit a little bit. And then third hour, just for fun, for giggles, we're going to have on a guy to talk about Star Trek technology that's real now. So those of you looking for interesting gift ideas... And also, this is legit, a guy who was studying UFOs for the Pentagon. I think you're going to find that really interesting. And then I have a message that I want to share with all of you, which is, of course, Merry Christmas, but a little more detail than that. Really, a thank you to everybody listening to the show. Team Buck, you are wonderful. You are the best part of my 2017, and you have been. And then we'll get some Team Buck Speaks coming up. So be back with you in just a few. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. A thwarted attack on Pier 39 in San Francisco. That is the headline today. The FBI, through undercover work and some uh, timely counterterrorism operations prevented an individual from engaging in what the FBI claims was going to be a Christmas Day attack on a major tourist attraction and gathering site in San Francisco. Uh, They used undercovers. This is a pretty standard, from what I've read about it so far, operation for the Bureau with regard to how it breaks up either lone wolf plots or cells. They probably made contact online first, although we don't know that yet. And this individual was expressing to people that he believed to be jihadists uh, that he wanted to use his uh, his vehicle provided by his company to help them in their terror attack. So there, it looks to me like this is going to be one of these cases where they get him on material support. Um, they're going to get him on material support to a terrorist group. This was a guy from Modesto. Uh, is He's actually, we were shortly in the Marine Corps, Everett Aaron Jameson, but was kicked out for lying to get into the Marine Corps. Uh, but he did have training with uh, firearms, and he had been posting pro-ISIS and pro-terrorism content, according to uh, sources out in the uh, California area. And he also posted a gif of a group of people giving a standing ovation to an article discussing the Halloween terror attack here in New York City, where there was a vehicle attack in downtown Manhattan. So clearly expressing ideological sympathy for the Islamic State and alignment with it, Uh, We'll have to see if they're able to make the charges stick. I did note that in the charging document, it says that uh, this man, Everett uh, Jameson, 
And I would wonder if that, if sometimes when someone radicalizes, they take a different name. Uh, they take a Cunha. I'm not sure if he will do that or not here, but it, or if he did that or not. But I would just note that uh, this is exactly what I've been concerned about. And we've seen this big surge of ISIS propaganda of, of posters, specifically citing the Vatican Times Square here in New York City, and uh, exhorting lone wolves. In fact, they've gone now to creating graphics with uh, uh, an individual who looks like a very high-speed terrorist with a timber wolf next to him to try and cre- to try and create imagery around all this. Right. So now they're really going for the lone wolf idea and pushing it out there online. And to a lot of us, it's like, well, this is just. These are just uh, ISIS fanboy cartoons, but some individuals who have radicalized, this may be all that they need. By the way, Acuna, I mentioned this before, is is a component of an Arabic name. Uh, it's often a, na- a nom de guerre or a nickname that someone will take. So, you know, if someone if he became like Al Amriki, the American, right, that would be his that would be his Cunha. Uh, so, for those who are wondering what that means with regard to Jihadist investigations and terrorism. There you have it. Uh, And so that happened. We're looking closely at security measures here in Times Square, which is very close to where I'm doing the show right now. Uh, And there's also a follow up to what I talked to you about yesterday with regard to Australia. Somehow, I'm not surprised to be sitting here telling you that yesterday, all the media outlets were jumping on the headline Australian police say no connection to terrorism. Now, that's a true statement, but it's a misleading statement because what they really meant was we don't know of a connection to terrorism. That's different than there is no connection to terrorism because today the Australian papers, and I would note that the international news media seems way less interested in this story. This was a vehicle attack, uh, Numerous people wounded, over a dozen people wounded. I don't believe anybody killed, but a lot of people had to be rushed to the hospital, all hit by cars. The car was totaled, hit by a car this guy was driving. And yesterday it was no connection to terrorism. The guy has, that was what the police were saying. And the guy has a history of mental illness, has a history of drug use. So he's just crazy. That's what they were telling us. Today, in much more... Muted reports from the news media, we are being told that he was, quote, muttering about the mistreatment of Muslims when police pulled him out of his wrecked vehicle after he had mowed down a bunch of people in Melbourne. Now, at some point, when is the coincidence a little bit too much? At some point, when is it too obvious to ignore that here you have a refugee from Afghanistan during the holidays in a major Western power that is a target of jihadists, Australia, and in their most important city, in the most uh, congested, one of the most congested parts of the city, this would be, this is like the equivalent of their Broadway or Times Square, mowing down a whole bunch of people, and when he's pulled out of the car, he's muttering about the mistreatment of Muslims, but he did this because he has a drug problem. You know, we, we can... Accept that analysis if we want to, but I have to tell you, I have a feeling next week there'll be something about how this individual from his 
guarded prison bed or guarded a guarded hospital bed uh, will will be saying something along the lines of, you know, I did this for ISIS or this is because of the Australian complicity in the air campaigns and in, in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I mean, the Aussies have been stalwart among the very most stalwart allies that we have had in what is called the global war on terror. So here we are. You will note if you go back yesterday and listen to what I said, I, I didn't get ahead of things. I just was walking you through the percentages. What is likely to be the case here? What is likely to be the truth based on what we know? And somehow here I am today, and it seems a whole lot. I told you it was likely that this was at least done in part because of jihadist inspiration. And here we are today with a pretty important data point, right? When you mowed out a bunch of people and tried to kill them all with your car, which is the preferred tactic of lone wolves acting on behalf of the Islamic State, and you happen to be a refugee from Afghanistan in a country where that accounts for less than 1% of the population, and you happen to say, I did this because of the treatment of Muslims by countries like Australia, do we think maybe there's a political motive for this violence? Because it doesn't even have to be ISIS affiliated for it to be terrorism. It doesn't even have to be on behalf of ISIS. It could just be a jihadist inclination or ideological alignment with the global jihad. Anyone who goes out and kills random people because of the perceived mistreatment of Muslims around the world is aligning himself or herself with a key tenet of jihadism. So I've laid this all out for you, and I would just note that much less interest today than in this story yesterday. And I have a feeling next week we might get more information. And I won't get to update you with this then, but in the new year, I will return to this story as we get more information that they'll just be they're not going to come out and say, oh, yes, ISIS inspired attack. I'm not I think that's unlikely, but there'll be additional data points that will be released quietly and news stories that are follow ups about this that will more or less indicate exactly what I thought all along, which is that this guy thought that he was acting out on behalf of the Ummah, the Islamic community, and that he was a jihadi. They won't call it that, but we'll see it in the information that they release. It'll be buried five or six paragraphs down. This is how Western media whitewashes terrorism. If, if in fact, that's what happens, maybe they find out that the guy just, you know, drank a a couple of bottles of Jameson and, and took some clonazepam and just, you know, just and just lost it. That's possible. Highly, highly unlikely, though. I think we'll see that this is a step by step guide, in essence, to how even over the holidays, when we know there's an increased threat, we know the Islamic State has been telling anybody who's just favorable to ISIS. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to do anything. You just want to want to help ISIS is their message. Go kill a bunch of innocent people. That's the message they are putting out there. But we are to ignore this for reasons of political correctness. All right. When we come back, we're going to be getting into the third hour. We're going to uh, lighten things up quite a bit. So uh, stay with me. All right. So we are midway through the show here. And just thinking about the Christmas holiday coming up, what we're going to be doing. And I think I would mentioned that we would talk a bit about uh, the the real history of Santa Claus. Here's here's all you really have to know is that Santa Claus is a well. It comes from Sinterklaas, which is Dutch, and we think that the European tradition of uh, 
having a celebration that used St. Nicholas came to us via the Dutch to the New World, and that's how Sinterklaas became Santa Claus. And Sinterklaas, of course, is a, uh, that's their way of saying St. Nick. That was what they were calling St. Nick in Holland in the 18th century. So the original Santa Claus goes back all the way to around the late 3rd century A.D. near Myra, which is in what is today Turkey, uh, what would have been at the time Asia Minor. Often forgotten, and not to make this a Cross versus Crescent segment, but what we now think of as Turkey, a lot of those city names, they pop up. And people are like, oh, wait, why? Why are all these apostles hanging out in these places that where where are they exactly? Oh, yeah, that's right. They're in what is now the modern Near East, the uh, edge of the eastern Mediterranean basin and Egypt, North Africa. Uh, You look at some of the uh, letters from the apostles and you look at the cities, you go, wait, where are they now? Oh, yeah, that's right. What was the Byzantine Christian Empire? So that's why totally unsurprising that in 280 or so A.D., uh, you had the ascendance of this St. Nicholas because it was an entirely Christian area, because what is all now the Near East, Turkey, uh, all of Jordan, all of Syria and Lebanon and Egypt, these were Christian areas. Somehow that gets lost in all this discussion about everything. Where's the embassy going to go? Well, if we're really going to talk about giving back land, but I digress. So anyway, let's talk about happy Santa stuff. So Santa Claus was St. Nick, and he was known for, he was a saint, obviously, so you know, yeah, he's a good guy. And he goes around traveling the countryside. He helps orphans and the sick, and he is believed to have saved a few sisters from being sold into slavery by providing them money so that they could get married. And his feast day was celebrated on the anniversary of his death, which was December 6th. But with the spread of Christianity, you have the merger of some pagan traditions in Europe, including bringing in the Yule. Remember Yuletide cheer? Uh, This was in northern Europe and Scandinavia right around the time of the winter solstice. They would bring in the largest tree they could find and light it on fire. This was something of a tradition. Now, bringing in a very large tree now and lighting it on fire would be a bad idea. But putting a big electric-powered star on top of your tree with a bunch of lights and, hey, Christmas cheer. Also, evergreens and the notion of having an evergreen in your house. They believe this came from northern Europe. The idea was that the evergreen during the difficult winter snows could still survive, and so it was a reminder of the spring to come. All pagan stuff, right? Christmas trees, pagan. Uh, The Yule log, pagan. This comes from pre-Christian Northern Europe. But once you want to spread your tradition around, once you spread the gospel, guess what? you got to get the local folks engaged. And so it's like, hey, you like to bring in a tree, light it on fire? Let's do it for the baby Jesus. And this is kind of how you get, this is a very short version. It's almost sounding like a drunk history version of how we get the Christmas celebrations we have today. And not actually the case that the first Santa Claus in red and white was because of Coca-Cola. It was used before that uh, in marketing, but Coca-Cola certainly popularized it very dramatically. So there you have some Christmas history. Uh, Tyrone and Amy, 
you guys, what are your Christmas uh, Christmas plans and traditions and Christmas thoughts for the whole team? Um, well, far as traditions, my wife and I always go to Princeton on Christmas Eve together. We've been married four years, but we've been together 10 years. I think this will be our seventh or eighth straight year going to Princeton, New Jersey, and we exchange our gifts on Christmas Eve because just like Thanksgiving, our Christmas is pretty busy. Grandmother's house for my side of the family, her parents' house for the other side, and just uh, kind of going and going and going with family. But uh, we, I just really love it, you know, everything about Christmas. And I want to say uh, Merry Christmas to all the, uh, the whole squad and all the listeners because they've been amazing. Yep. They've been amazingly kind. They've been amazingly supportive. But um, it's, I, this is my favorite holiday by a lot. So I get kind of almost like emotional about it. I love it so much. Me too. Totally agree. Amy? Christmas time, Amy style. What happens? Um, well, this Christmas is a little bit new for us. My folks just moved to Naples, Florida. So instead of the snows up in Syracuse, it's going to be white sand. So no complaints on my end. I think they're going to be doing, instead of a Christmas tree, a palm tree. So uh-huh. they're feeling pretty festive right Christmas, now. <laughs> Christmas sunburn may be something you have to watch out yes, for. Yes, pretty badly. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like a good, a good situation. Movies that you guys plan on either going to see in theaters or watching at home. I, I always watch National Lampoon. That's my favorite. Okay. And I'm going to watch Scrooge with Miss Molly, I think, either tonight or tomorrow. I already saw Star Wars, so I'm probably going to go see the uh, All the Money in the World. That's the movie where I think Spacey got cut out, and then the guy that replaced him was yep. like, nominated for all the awards. That's pretty amazing. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I hear it's going to be a really good movie. All right. And Amy? Um, we're going to see Star Wars as a family, so that'll be fun. Um, and we always watch the Griswolds, and not just like we watch like all five of what, however many there is. We watch all of them like back to back. So <laughs> yeah, I'm still looking to find a great, a great uh, version, a classic version of a Christmas Carol. But I'm, I, th- I think I'll see how Scrooge does. I saw it a long time ago. I don't really remember. And for those who aren't so inclined to watch a Christmas movie over Christmas, I would just note that I was asked uh, earlier today by. Uh, a buddy of mine on Twitter, uh, Pastor uh, Pastor Scott, if you don't know him, Darrell Scott, and he said, uh, my wife wants to watch zombie movies. What are the five best zombie movies? Here's what I had. 28 Days Later, Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, Resident Evil, and Army of Darkness. So if you if you agree or disagree with that list, Tyrone's nodding. He thinks that's a, that's a substantial, uh, solid list. So those would be, if you go in the opposite direction from like, you know, God bless us, everyone. Do you want like zombies and all that stuff? I just gave you zombie movies to watch over the holiday, which you can check out, too. And, uh, of course, there's always time for some action movies. And, yes, indeed, before any of you ask me again, just so we're all clear, Die Hard is 100% a Christmas movie. We'll be right back. So, Team Buck, I don't know what your plans are for watching movies and TV shows over the holidays, but I'm guessing there's a decent chance you might see something with aliens. You might even be watching a show that deals with UFOs. But what about UFOs in real life? I don't know how many of you saw it, but the New York Times published an incredible expose of just a few days back called Glowing Auras and Black Money the Pentagon's mysterious UFO program. It talked about uh, a former Pentagon military intelligence official named Luis Elizondo, who confirmed the existence of a hidden government program called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program that investigated the uh, existence of UFOs up until 2009. This is some serious stuff, right? Well, we actually have Lou Elizondo 
on the phone with us right now. He is the former Pentagon military intelligence official featured in that piece about the UFO program that the United States military is paying real money to look into. Lou, thank you so much for calling in. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. All right. What should people know about this program? Under $22 million or so spent looking at what? What were the phenomenon that you were looking into? Sure. Uh, well, we were looking at pretty much anything that we, we, we couldn't identify, something that didn't fit the, the normal profile, whether it be aircraft or drones or missiles or anything like that. <clears throat> I mean, anything that could, could uh, potentially pose a threat to U.S. national security. Now, you left the program because of what, what is uh, said to be the mounting evidence and the lack of necessary resources to look at that evidence uh, to the degree you can and are comfortable. What can you tell us about the things that you found or that the program uncovered that are certainly worthy of more inquiry when it comes to unidentified flying objects? Sure. Um, I, I think it's important to know when we say, you know, UFOs, Obviously, there's a little bit of a stigma there. And, you know, when we approached the topic of UFOs, we really looked at it from, from the objective perspective of, you know, what, what is really a UFO? And we realized, we determined very early on that it's, it's, it's actually very subjective. It's not in concrete. So I, I think we would all agree that if you were flying a B-17 sometime over the Pacific, maybe during World War II, over a remote island, um, some of the folks on that island who've never seen a plane before would look up, and by definition, they would say that is a UFO, an unidentified flying object. Of course, you know, we look back and we kind of scratch our heads and say, well, that's just technology. But to, to the same regard, we, we noticed a lot of things while I was running the program that frankly don't fit any uh, normal profile or any type of, of of routine characteristic that you would might consider, you know, uh, uh, in any in any way identifiable as an aircraft, um, whatever type of aircraft you're looking at. So we we approach this with uh, with objectivity and applying the scientific method to determine what is it we're actually seeing, how does it operate, and and how is it? What are the physics required for something to behave in this manner? What were some of the most puzzling incidents that your group, and for everybody listening, we're speaking to Lou Elizondo. He is the former Pentagon military intelligence official that was featured in a recent New York Times piece about a Pentagon program looking into UFOs. We got the guy with us here right now. Lou, what are some of the incidents? Describe them to us or tell us about some of the findings that have not just piqued sure. your curiosity, but pushed you even further on this quest for the truth. Sure. Uh, well, Mr. Sexton, as, as you can imagine, um, I, I have to be mindful into some of the specifics only because I, I still currently hold a, a security clearance. I totally understand. I'm former CIA myself, so I, I totally get it. So that's why whatever you're comfortable, whatever's been published and you can tell us. Right. Uh, but what I can tell you, I think that's that's probably what I find most compelling that there are five basic categories when we're looking at these things. And you're looking at, and I've, I've mentioned this before um, to other folks, but really the, the five I would consider exotic technology categories include extreme maneuverability, um, hypersonic velocities, so velocities that are beyond supersonic, and, and frankly, in some cases, these things don't display any type of sonic boom or, or shockwave. Uh, which is very interesting. Um, I would say low observability, 
Uh, and then uh, I would also, I would say positive lift. Um, you know, a lot of folks like to use the term anti-gravity, and I'm, I'm not going to go quite that far because we don't really know really how it's being done. Um, I think what's most compelling for us is that if you were to compare it to anything we have in our inventory or anything that we think other folks have in their inventory, um, nothing fits. And more importantly, this has been going on for a while. So people say, oh, is it Russian? Is it Chinese? Yeah, sure, could be. But you're looking at these things doing this not last week or last month, but, but really ever since we've been looking at it, and it continues to do it. So um, I, I think it's very easy to simply just chalk it up and dismiss it as well. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a foreign capability that's you know there and they're operating in our AOR. Is it possible? Sure, anything's possible. But again, we're trying to keep an open mind and let the data speak for itself, rather than you know superimposing our own opinions of what something might be or could be. Um, rather, kind of the old gumshoe adage, if you will, just the facts, ma'am, and that's that's pretty much how we were, we were approaching things. Now, Lou, you left the Pentagon, uh, and you are now the Director of Global Security and Special Programs for the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. What are you doing there, and what can you tell me about how your mission set now continues? Sure. Well, you know, government and DOD and national security apparatus of the government uh, is is a wonderful thing. Um, What the government does, it does well most of the time. But keeping in mind, the department is a really large bureaucratic organization. It fights wars fantastic and addresses threats uh, in a a great fashion. But keep in mind, these are threats that tend to be a little bit more well-defined, right? So when you're talking about terrorism or you're talking about uh, biological and chemical type uh, um, munitions or you're talking about missile technology or nuclear proliferation or, you know, you name it, issues du jour, right? Uh, The government... Is, is fairly well postured to address those threats. When you're talking about something like we were looking at, the problem is it's a little bit more nebulous. Um, so, so being able to define what the problem is is, is a, first of all, a great challenge. Being able to understand how it works is, is exceedingly even more difficult, and having the conversation, believe it or not, is almost darn near impossible within the building. So why did I leave? Um, I left because I respect Jim Mattis. Um, I left in order to better serve the man. This is a man who I spent some time in some very, very difficult situations overseas. And uh, he, he is truly a, a, what I would consider a national hero um, for the United States. He, he's an incredible, incredible human being. But he inherited a rather uh, large bureaucratic organization with a lot of stovepipes and a lot of silos. And uh, frankly, it, uh, it became apparent to me that the only way I was going to be able to get this finally... Um, right. Huge bureaucracy, not enough money, not enough attention. I, we, we get that for sure, Lou, but what are you doing now? Well, my intent now is with, with some of the folks we work with, uh, some, some great people like Steve Justice and Chris Mellon and Hal Pudoff and, and Tom, we intend to build it, quite frankly. Um, I, I know, Mr. Sexton, it sounds kind of, to some folks... Uh, a little bit outlandish, but it's not. Um, I think we have a, a much better understanding of the physics that we were we were observing over the course of the last decade, and our intent is to conduct some experimentations and build a working model of this within within two. This Wait, working time. model of what, Lou? Well, of of what we're seeing, of the technology we're seeing. I'm not going to ascribe to 
to where it's from or who's behind the wheel, but there is something there. There's an object that is maneuvering in, 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 a, in a way that we would like to better understand and, and engineer ourselves. So, Lou, I mean, you won't say it, but I'll say it, everybody. He's talking about building a UFO, basically. Now, you don't have to say it, Lou, but I'm just saying that, that's what you're talking about right now. We're, we're, going, we're going around a little bit. That's okay. I won't make you say it. I appreciate that you've got to keep the skeptics in line and you don't want to go too far. But, um, Lou, I just want to know, is there anything that anywhere where you want to direct people to go to see more about what you're doing or your research or just anything that you want to share with the folks across yeah, the country sure, listening absolutely. right now? Uh, to, to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, um, this, is our, uh, this, is, this is where we reside. Um, there are a, a, a huge group of individuals that are on our advisory board, um, certainly individuals a heck of a lot smarter than me. That's for darn sure. Uh, we're talking top-notch physicists and geneticists and, um, you know, engineers and, and advanced aviation concepts. Steve Justice, as you, as you probably know, just left one of the top positions at Lockheed Skunk Works. So for your listeners who know what Skunk Works is, um, that's about as good as it gets, quite frankly. Um, these folks are the ones who build build things um, that we won't see for the next 50 years. And, of course, Hal Pudoff, who's a legend in, in himself and as a physicist and theoretical physicist, and uh, Tom DeLonge, who's going to be doing the uh, entertainment piece of, uh, of, uh, of our company. He plans to make uh, books and movies and, and whatnot that will go out and help help inform the, the public of what we're trying to do here in, a, in an entertaining sort of way. So imagine a, a kind of a... A Disney model, uh, but for uh, for the aerospace community, uh, something that we're going to be able to to actually do and build in our laboratories, conduct the field research necessary, and then at the same time, um, you know, in, in inform the, the the public in an entertaining and informative way. Lou is the Lou Elizondo is the director of global security and special programs. For the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, uh, you can all go check that out. Lou is the former Pentagon military intelligence official that was written about in the New York Times piece, Glowing Auras and Black Money, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program. Lou, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for your service and your work, and please have a Merry Christmas. And thank you for your service. Thank you so much for having me, and have a, have a wonderful holiday and Merry Christmas yourself. Great to talk to you, sir. All right, team, we are going to roll into a break. When we come back, uh, I got an idea. We're in a technology mood right now, and Christmas is a time for miracles. Let's talk about Star Trek technology that really exists. Stay with me for that. All right, so we were just talking about UFOs. What about technology that comes straight off the screen of Star Trek? We've got Ethan Siegel on the line now. He's an astrophysicist and author of the new book, Trechnology. The Science of Star Trek from Tricorders to Warp Drive. He also has a blog on Forbes called Starts with a Bang. Great to have you, Ethan. It's my pleasure to be here. You know, when you talk about Star Trek, you envision this glorious future where technology has helped us solve some of our greatest problems, and it's used for the benefit of all of humanity. And I can't wait to share with you some of the great advances that are on the cusp of becoming our own reality. All right, so you talk about this in the book. Tell me about, I don't watch Star Trek much, but I have seen it. I'm not a Trekkie, but I'm not a total novice. What is uh, Synthahol? You know, 
they had this idea that rather than alcohol, which gets you drunk and has lots of positive effects, like a feeling of euphoria and maybe even invincibility and increased self-confidence, but it also has these negative side effects of dehydration and a loss of equilibrium and hangovers and dead brain cells. And Gene Roddenberry envisioned a future where he said, you know what, what if you could have all of these positive effects and all of that social lubrication that people need, but none of the negative effects? Well, here we are uh, in 2017, and we've made such pharmacological advances that we figured out what the molecules are that activate your receptors to produce all of these effects. And what we found is we can find and engineer molecules that will bind to the good-feeling receptors and not the bad ones. And if we can make up an antidote to that, something that you take to say, oh, no, the captain called red alert, or, oh, no, I have to take my kid to the hospital, you can do that because all of a sudden you can kick all of those euphoria molecules out of their receptors and be stone sober just like that. This is on the horizon. We've made huge strides towards it, and I wouldn't be surprised if in the next decade or two, Synthahol became a reality. You've just got to now get to a point, Doc, where eggnog isn't a problem from a dad bod, but that'll be that'll be a science project for another day. Eggnog is delicious, but it's like drinking a milkshake, everybody. Replicators, also a technology from Star Trek. You're telling me getting closer, getting closer to reality this holiday season. You wouldn't believe what they can 3D print now. If you put the right feedstock in there, you can make anything from not only plastic structures, but you can make things out of metal. You can make whatever carvings you want out of wood by putting in wood feedstock, and they can even do this with food. In fact, they just 3D printed the very first pizza on the International Space Station. So these devices work in space, in zero gravity, and all you have to do is supply them with the right ingredients. We're not yet at the point where you can just have it pull matter out of thin air or out of no air at all, but we are sure close to having a working replicator for food and for materials that go far beyond that. I'm just going to guess that Tyrone here in the Freedom Hut with me believes that replicator pizza better than papa john's pizza tyrone better than papa john's pizza much better much better yes that's what i figured okay uh cloaking devices tell me about those can you believe the idea that you could just turn on a cloaking device and render yourself invisible well this isn't science fiction anymore this is science this is a whole scientific field of metamaterials where if you make a multi-layer coating and you put it on an object it causes light to bend around the object and continue on in its original path as though that object were never there so if you are far enough away from that object that's cloaked you'll see the background where that object itself should be. We've made these cloaking devices, these metamaterial devices that work over huge wavelengths of the light spectrum. Next up is getting the entire visible part of the spectrum and the ultraviolet part, and then we'll have a true cloaking device where you literally won't be able to see something just based on this type of cloak that it's wearing. So the movie Predator is, in my opinion, one of the greatest action movies of all time. And, Ethan, I don't know if you're familiar with this film, but the alien uses a light refraction technology to essentially blend in with any environment because he becomes see-through. 
it, we're getting closer to that, aren't we? I mean, this was kind. Of, this was uh, cutting edge stuff that they were coming up with back in the eighties. You've got a lot of nerve coming back here after what you pulled. Yeah, I'm a Predator fan. That's, Look at uh, that! The classic. Yes. <laughs> ten points. Ten. Ten points for uh, astrophysicist Ethan Siegel. I love it. All right, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, let's get into uh, visors next. You imagine what it would be like if everyone who was blind could suddenly have their sight restored? If people who had never been able to see from birth could suddenly see for the first time? This was the idea of Geordi's visor from Star Trek. And starting in the 1990s and on into the 2000s, what they've started to discover is that you can actually engineer this. You don't even need to go through someone's eyeballs or their optic nerves. The whole point of connection is the brain's visual cortex. And what we've begun doing is we've begun putting implants into people's visual cortexes and hooking them up wirelessly to external cameras. Some people can wear them on their head. Other people can have them transmit from anywhere. You're not restricted if you do this to the visible light portion of the spectrum. You can see anything from across any part of the electromagnetic spectrum. You just interpret it into an image, you feed it directly to your brain, and the signal becomes something that you perceive as a sight. This could, in principle, work to restore the vision they estimate up to 85% of people who are blind today. They have prototypes at Monash University in Australia called the Hat Pack that actually restore this type of vision. So the future may almost be here. What you know as a hearing aid, imagine if you could have that same thing for sight. Amazing stuff, Doc. Uh, Ethan Siegel here, astrophysicist and author of the new book, Technology, the Science of Star Trek from Tricorders to Warp Drive. Sounds like a very cool book. Everybody should check it out. Also, he's got a blog on Forbes, Starts with a Bang. And you can follow him at Starts with a Bang on Twitter. Ethan, great to have you, man. Have a Merry Christmas and a great holiday. Happy holidays to you and all your listeners out there. Hey, we Look at this show. I mean, we cover everything. Politics, uh, politics, UFO, Star Trek. All kinds of stuff. Eggnog, dad bods. It's a virtual audio menagerie here. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk a bit about you. I want to have some uh, final thoughts for you all at the end of 2017, so stay with me. Well, here we are with our last Team Buck Speaks of 2017. Uh, but before I get into that, I just wanted to say a couple of words to all of you who listen to the show. Uh, Thank you so much for staying with me this year. I know that uh, there has been a bunch of uh, changes, certainly over the course of my career. There have been a lot of different uh, you know, shifts, a lot of ups and, well, not really downs, but just changes, you know, changes in the schedule, the time, how you listen, where you listen. And for those of you who have now been with me, it'll be going on... Uh, gosh, five or six years now. Um, I just can't tell you how honestly flattered I am that uh, you like this show and that you've stayed with me all this time. And I wanted to make sure that you all know that I, I really do appreciate you and, and every single person who listens to the show and whether you write in sometime or you call in or not, uh, it, it matters a lot to me that you're willing to spend time with me here in the Freedom Hut because 
this is right now my life's work. This is really my focus. It's what I do. I try to think of the best show I can every single day. And I'm really gratified that so many of you are down to hang out here in the hut. And so thank you also for spreading the word to friends and to uh, family members and just help us grow. Because as you know, this is also, it's uh, a business as well as a passion. And so when I ask, hey, can you guys tell people, uh, all I can do is ask, but if you really believe in what I'm doing here, you want it to reach more uh, more ears, more folks out there, and to be a, a bigger voice in the uh, increasingly fractured and anarchic media ecosystem, it really just is a question of all of you listening, uh, telling people and wanting folks to get involved. But most of all, I just want to say thank you. This has been incredible up to this point, and I'm just really excited for 2018. You're going to see a whole bunch of new things happening, uh, new, new segments, new voices on the show, a, a lot, uh, a lot of fun stuff coming up in 2018. And of course, the History Podcast, which is a tremendous, I'm not going to lie to you guys, it's a, it's a tremendous burden in terms of the work, but because uh, so many of you are willing to listen, want to listen, and we'll, I know you'll share it and you'll post it on your Facebook and will really grow a robust audience for the Shields High podcast. So I'm, I want to do it because I love doing it. So this is just me saying thank you so much for being with me through 2017. I know when I uh, first started the show, for some of you, uh, when I started this show on Premier Networks, you were used to hearing another voice and, and other even guest hosts, and then I, I came out of nowhere uh, for some of you, and I really appreciate uh, that you were willing to give me a shot and, and hopefully stayed with me all the way through. Uh, I have a feeling that next year is going to be a, a lively one when it comes to both politics and national security. I can already see some some big stories percolating uh, that will continue to give us a lot to talk about and hang out about here in the hut, and uh, I just I'm very gratified that I get to do this and spend time with all of you and all of your tweets and Facebook messages and emails and, and everything. Those of you who call in, I mean, there are people, no names, there are people who sometimes call in and will wait on hold for two or three hours just to get in and talk to everybody on air here in the hut. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, the dedication of what we're doing here is tremendous. I've gotten essays from people of upwards of a thousand words where they're trying to share information with me about a subject on the show. So it, it really is a collaboration. And if it's going to continue to be a success in 2018 and beyond, it's going to be because so many of you are really passionate about the show. You know, this isn't the Today Show. I, I didn't uh, inherit a an audience of millions of people who are just going to tune in because they're tuning in. All right, you're you're spending your time with me because you believe in what's going on here, and I feel like that's a sacred bond between all of us, and it really means a lot to me, and I am uh, profoundly grateful to all of you who listen. So, just my way of saying a big, big 2018 for the show. Uh, you will hear new stuff, uh, the requests that have been coming in. I've been logging and cataloging and making notes about how we can really uh, implement it all. 
and it's going to be a really, really fun time here in the hut. So I know we're all going to be unplugging a little bit over the holiday and you're maybe going to be talking a lot of politics or maybe none at all. But uh, do, if you get the chance, see if you can, you know, turn somebody on to uh, downloading the podcast of a, of a previous episode or just get them to become familiar with what's going on here in the Freedom Hut. And you know, that would be, that's all I want for Christmas. I know I said all I want is for you to call in and many of you have, but all I want for Christmas now is for you to tell somebody over the break that you believe cares about politics, philosophy, national security, history, just entertainment, fun, uh, all, any of those things. Tell them about the Freedom Hunt. Tell them about the Buck Sexton Show. And with that, I'm going to roll into a quick break here, team, and we'll do some Team Buck Speaks on the flip side. Merry Christmas, Team Buck. It's our uh, last Team Buck Speaks of 2017. So uh, let me get right into it. And yeah, all right, here we go. Jake writes in on Facebook. Thanks, Buck. Any chance Shields High will be available on Google Play? I have Android. And the answer, Jake, is if it is if the show is currently available, meaning this show, uh, Buck Saxon with America Now, if it's a, if that's on Android, Shields High will be, too. Wherever the show currently gets placed for downloads, the history show will also be there. All right. This one is via email from Dan in North Dakota. Howdy, Buck. Love, love, love your show. Look forward to it all day. First heard you sub for El Rushbo and enjoyed your voices and intelligence. Go Lord Jeffs. Well, now they're actually the Mastodons, as you know, Dan. But yes, the Lord Jeffs of Amherst, my alma mater. On your podcast yesterday, you mentioned the Japanese soldiers. And yes, a few emerged from the South Pacific jungles in the 1970s. I remember this when I was a kid chasing chickens. See, I really do listen. <laughs> okay, thanks, man. Yeah, and he says, Wikipedia, if you check it out, Hiro Onada was one of the Japanese soldiers they found much, much later. Uh, so thank you very much for that, Dan. I appreciate it. Brandy with the following. I am so excited to hear more history lessons are coming. Nobody really does this with the exception of Glenn Beck. Thank you so much and keep up the great work on radio. Love your show. Merry Christmas, Brandy. Well, Brandy, I'm glad you're excited. I'm looking forward to it, too. And I'm thinking it's going to be a really fun addition to what we do here in the Freedom Huddle. Though, keep in mind, it's going to be a podcast. So that means if you want to hear it, you got to subscribe on iTunes or you can listen on the iHeart app. But you really want to be a subscriber because then and it's free. It just will pop up and you can listen to it whenever you want. And because it's a history show, it will be what we call in the business an evergreen product. So you can listen to it. You can listen to it whenever you want. You might listen to it more than once. You know, play it for a friend, play it for the kids in the car. Uh, so that's our that's our plan with that. Uh, Lanny writes in, "Hey Buck, I just finished to your finished listening to your twelve twenty podcast uh, where you mentioned my suggestion. Thanks, that just made my day. Well, Lanny, here you go. You're getting on air again." From my family to yours, we wish you, Miss Molly, and family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. From an OSS listener, keep up the great work you do. God bless, and as always, shields high. Same to you, Lanny, and thank you so much for the very kind message. Appreciate it, uh, and Merry Christmas. Philip, with the following. Shields high, Buck. When thinking of how to rename your Team Buck Speak segment, I compared it to your Buck Brief as a debrief 
or it could be called a Team Buck debrief or Freedom Hunt debrief. As it is at the end of the show, keep up the great work, OSS Phil. Well, thank you, Phil. I like your suggestion. And as I keep saying, I'm jotting these down. I'm making a list, checking it twice. Going to make sure who's naughty and nice on Team Buck. No, I'm just kidding. But I am making a list and checking it twice. So thank you for the suggestion. Uh, This, I unfortunately deleted the name, but whoever you are out there, thank you for sending it. Merry Christmas, Team Buck. Two things. First, I believe Lethal Weapon 1 is also a Christmas movie. Hmm. I hadn't thought of it that way. And second, for action movie, quote, Friday, this is a write-in, did you ever hear the expression, never rob a bank across from a dinner with best donuts in three counties? Denzel and Mark are in this movie. Look forward to 2018 and God bless. Well, uh, mysterious message sender who, he, he gave me his name, I just... When I uh, when I created a little note to send myself here, I deleted it because, you know, like I said, vacationitis. I'm I'm getting uh, I'm getting ready to ready to punch out here. Uh, but I think Lethal Weapon one. No, I don't I don't know if we could say because it maybe one part is in Christmas, but it, it covers a long time span. Die Hard, for example, the entire movie takes place on Christmas Eve. The entire movie. So. How could it be more clear that it is a Christmas movie? It's not that Christmas occurs in the timeline of the film. It's that it is, in fact, a movie on Christmas Eve. All right, Bo with the following. Buck slapped, LOL. That's one you should keep. And from the same one, Roll Call is pretty good, and it gave me the idea of Team Buck's mail call. Also, when you do your history deep dives, which I love, I think you should call them Team Buck School Circle. When I was in the Corps and we had knowledge to impart, we would holler school circle. All the Marines would run like maniacs and plop down on the ground, sitting at attention to hear the words of wisdom, shields high and oorah. All right. First of all, Bo, that's awesome. I like school circle as a, <laughs> that's really cool. That's a really fun, uh, uh, fun way to, to get it going and drop the wisdom. I like it. Um, and as to a team bucks mail call, like I said, this is all 2018. This is when we're going to start. Uh, rolling these things out. You're going to hear a lot of new stuff. I mean, it'll be obviously me, so it'll be the same show, but it will, we'll have new segments, branded segments. The history show is going to be weekly. Hopefully it might be twice a month. Depends on Mr. Buck's workload over here. And yeah, there'll be a lot of, uh, there's, there's gonna be a lot of new stuff. Commie bear is going to be back. I have to tell you, like, I feel like people there. There's almost like going to be a commie bear boycott if I don't get commie bear back on the show. From some people, they get very, they're very attached to the bear. And those of you who don't know what commie bear is, are like, what the heck is he talking about? Just, just give it some time, my friends. We will, we will get there. All right, uh, Daniel uh, writes, "Hey Buck, my name's Daniel, and I'm from Virginia. As one of your newest and possibly youngest listeners, I'm 15." I'd like to say I really enjoy your show and I'm looking forward to your history podcast. Also, the naming of the Freedom Hut and Team Buck Speaks helps a lot. Another favorite part of mine is Shields High. I must say that I can't remember much of the Bush era and all I've known is the Obama era. I'm really fond of that name to it. Makes it sound like it was bad, which it was. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to experience a new golden age of America and seeing everything Trump has in store. Hopefully he'll get reelected a third time like Franklin D. Roosevelt. 
Thanks for all you're doing. I really enjoy it. Shields high and never give in. Daniel. Well, Daniel, that's a great email. And I very much appreciate hearing from you. I think it's awesome that we have uh, listeners who run the run the gamut from, you know, uh, teenagers all the way up to people with three digits. You know, I mean, we go way up there and that's great. And it's uh, makes me really happy. It brings me a lot of joy to know that we've got so many folks from different because you understand what this show is about. You understand why I come here each day and talk to you about the things I do and take the approach that I do. Uh, but, you know, it probably would be better from a pure dollars and cents career standpoint for me to come in here and just pound the table and yell. And I actually have a scary yelling voice if I wanted to use it. And I could do that, too. But I think that that is condescending to the audience because some days I'll be upset about things. And you know what I'm upset, I tell you. But to just be pretend to, to pretend to be upset every day. Oh, we've been sold out by this group or that group. I don't know how people can be outraged and angry so much. I think after a while, it just gets boring and it's it's the easy way out. And maybe it's lucrative, but it's not helpful. It's not constructive. It's not worthwhile in the end. So I appreciate that so many of you listen, knowing that I take a different approach. And I really just want you all spending time with me here in the hut. Michael. Uh, has the following insight to share. This may be a bit late, but I work a Tuesday to Saturday and listen to your podcast on my hour plus drive home. So I might be a day behind. First, I want to let you know you haven't seen Greece and haven't seen and should see Greece. Uh, also on the list of movies, men shouldn't see. Oh, so you're saying shouldn't see, but he left out the, the he meant to say shouldn't see are dirty dancing and fried green tomatoes. Haven't seen either of those either. Most importantly, I wanted to say that conservative Republicans should push for the prosecution of that screeching sea cow, Rosie O'Donnell, as hard as they possibly can, because you can bet your bottom dollar that if the roles were reversed and a conservative celebrity had offered two Democrat senators two million dollars to change their vote, Rosie O'Donnell would have been the first screaming for that conservative celebrity to be behind bars. I say fight fire with fire. Shields high. And then he has hashtag jail the sea cow. Well, I don't think that Rosie O'Donnell is going to get prosecuted, and, and I wouldn't advocate for that. Uh, although what she did, what she said is pretty dumb. I also don't think we should bring sea cows into this because sea cows, also known as manatees, are a, a majestic creature. And I've always wanted to see one. I've actually never had a chance to see one. And Miss Molly is making fun of me a lot these days. We were out to dinner with one of my oldest friends last night and, and her husband, friends now we, we did the math we've been friends for 25 years and and, and i let slip that yeah you know, i i if we can't get a a dog soon enough because of restrictions in our apartment and miss molly's schedule and my schedule maybe there's some other pets that i would consider and miss molly starts making fun of me she's like oh what we're gonna get a pet fox or a mini pig or a and i'm like this all sounds great but sure enough um those are not not options that would work either for right now. And, I'm, and I know a manatee is definitely not a, a thing you can have as a pet, but they look so nice and peaceful and like they're very chilled out. You know, there's something very chill about a manatee. Uh, David writes in, fantastic show. Uh, a 15-year-old kid and a 22-year-old female registered Democrat voter calling in. You're making a difference, bro. Well, thank you, David. I really appreciate that. That's very kind of you. 
Um, we have another David writing in. Uh, Shields High, Buck. Just a quick note to thank you for offering such a quality political analysis program. These days, I'm listening to Shapiro, Rush, and Buck. I'm amazed by the fact that you replied to a couple of my Facebook Messenger comments and read a couple on the air. It is heartwarming. Wish I could get advance notice for your TV appearances. Do you post those somewhere? And also, try a porterhouse. Best wishes for a Merry Christmas, Happy Birthday, New Year, and as always, continued success. Sincerely, Dave. Dave, thank you for your kind note. Porterhouse is great. It would be my second choice after ribeye. Uh, I don't know why. I'm just very devoted to a great ribeye steak. And, well, I can tell you why. It has to do with the marbleization, the fat content in the meat, and the way that if it is perfectly seared on the outside, it locks in a lot of the flavor. But a discussion for another time. As a TV appearances, yeah, Facebook. If you're listening to the show, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. I, I, we don't spam you with a lot of stuff there and not going to see too much in your feed. Just worthwhile updates about the show and TV appearances. Um, and with that, I, I have uh, one last thing for you all, and that is please, please have a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. Thank you all so much, and I could not be more excited to be back here with you in the hut in 2018, Shields High.